Chapter Eight, Part Two of Mount Royal, Volume One by Mary Elizabeth Braden. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight, Le Secret de Polichinelle, Part Two. I'll tell you what, girls," said Major Bree, as the mournful meal languished toward its melancholy close. "We seem all very doleful without Hamley. I'll run round to Bond Street right after dinner and see if I can get three stalls for Lohengrin." they are often to be had at the last moment please don't said christabel earnestly i would not go to a theatre again without angus i am sorry i went the other night it was obstinate and foolish of me to insist upon seeing that play and i was punished for it by that horrid old woman this afternoon but you liked the play yes while i was seeing it but now i have taken a dislike to miss mayne i feel as if i had seen a snake all grace and lovely colour and had caught hold of it only to find that it was a snake the major stared and looked alarmed was this an example of instinct superior to reason let me try for the opera he said i am sure it would do you good to go you will sit in the front drawing-room listening for hansoms all the evening fancying that every pair of wheels you hear is bringing angus back to you i would rather be doing that than be sitting at the opera thinking of him but i am afraid there is no chance of his coming to-night his letter to-day told me that his aunt insists upon his staying two or three days longer and that she is ill enough to make him anxious to oblige her the evening passed in placid dreariness mrs tregonell sat brooding in her armchair pondering whether she should or should not tell christabel everything knowing but too well how the girl's happiness was dependent upon her undisturbed belief in her lover yet repeating to herself again and again that it was right and fair that christabel should know the truth nay ever so much better that she should be told it now when she was still free to shape her own future and that she should make the discovery later when she was angus hamley's wife this last consideration the thought that a secret which everybody's secret must inevitably sooner or later become known to christabel weighed heavily with mrs tregonell and through all her meditations there was interwoven the thought of her absent son and how his future welfare might depend upon the course to be taken now Christabel played and sang while the Major and Jessie Bridgman sat at Bézique. The friendship of these two had been in no wise disturbed by the Major's offer and the lady's rejection. It was the habit of both to take life pleasantly. Jessie took pains to show the Major how sincerely she valued his esteem, how completely she appreciated the fine points of his character, and he was too much a gentleman to remind her by one word or tone of his disappointment that day in the wood above Maidenhead the evening came to its quiet end at last christabel had scarcely left her piano in the dim little third room she had sat there in the faint light playing slow sleepy nocturnes and leader and musing musing sadly with a faint sick dread of coming sorrow she had seen it in her aunt's face when the old bull clock chimed the half-hour after tea the major got up and took his leave bending over mrs tregonell as he pressed her hand at parting to murmur remember with an accent as solemn as charles the martyr's when he spoke to juxon mrs tregonell answered never a word she had been pondering and wavering all the evening but had come to no fixed conclusion she bade the two girls good-night directly the major was gone she told herself that she had the long tranquil night before her for the resolution of her doubts she would sleep upon this vexed question but before she had been ten minutes in her room there came a gentle knock at the door and christabel stole softly to her side auntie dear i want to talk to you before you go to bed if you are not very tired may dormer go for a little while 
dormer gravest and most discreet of handmaids whose name seemed to have been made on purpose for her looked at her mistress and receiving a little nod took up her work and crept away dormer was never seen without her needlework she complained that there was so little to do for mrs tregonell that unless she had plenty of plain sewing she must expire for want of occupation having long outlived such frivolity as sweethearts and afternoons out when dormer was gone christabel came to her aunt's chair and knelt down beside it just as she had done at mount royal when she told her of august hamley's offer aunt diana what has happened what is wrong she asked coming at the heart of the question at once there was no shadow of doubt in her mind that something was sorely amiss how do you know that there is anything wrong i have known it ever since that horrible old woman medusa in a bonnet all over flowers pansies instead of snakes talked about cupid and psyche and you knew it and made her stop to tell you all about it there is some cruel mystery something that involves my fate with that of the actress i saw the other night mrs tregonell sat with her hands tightly clasped her brows bent she felt herself taken by storm as it were surprised into decision before she had time to make up her mind since you know so much perhaps you had better know all she said gloomily and then she told the story shaping it as delicately as she could for a girl's ear christabel covered her face with her clasped hands and listened without a sigh or a tear the pain she felt was too dull and vague as yet for the relief of tears the horrible surprise the sudden darkening of the dream of her young life the clouding over of every hope these were shapeless horrors which she could hardly realize at first little by little this serpent would unfold its coils drop by drop this poison would steal through her veins until its venom filled her heart he whom she had supposed all her own with whose every thought she had fancied herself familiar he of whose heart she had believed herself the sole and sovereign mistress had been one little year ago the slave of another loving with so passionate a love that he had not shrunk from letting all the world know his idolatry yes all those people who had smiled at her and said sweet things to her and congratulated her on her engagement had known all the while that this lover of whom she was so proud was only the cast-off idolater of an actress had come to her only when life's master passion was worn threadbare and had become a stale and common thing for him at the first womanly pride felt the blow as keenly as womanly love to be made a mock of by the man she had so loved kneeling there in dumb misery at her aunt's feet answering never a word to that wretched record of her lover's folly christabel's thoughts flew back to the still grey autumn noontide at pentargon bay and the words then spoken words which then had only vaguest meaning now rose out of the dimness of the past and stood up in her mind as if they had been living creatures he had compared himself to tristan to one who had sinned and repented he had spoken of himself as a man whose life had been more than half lived already he had offered himself to her with no fervid passion with no assured belief in her power to make him happy nay he had rather forced from her the confession of her love by his piteous representation of himself as a man doomed to early death he had wrung from her the offer of a life's devotion she had given herself to him almost unwooed never before had her betrothal appeared to her in this humiliating aspect but now enlightened by the knowledge of that former love a love so reckless and self-sacrificing it seemed to her that the homage offered her had been of the coldest that her affection had been placidly accepted rather than passionately demanded of her fool 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 she said within herself 
bowed to the dust by this deep humiliation my darling why don't you speak to me said mrs tregonell tenderly with her arm around the girl's neck her face leaning down to touch that drooping head what can i say i feel as if my life had suddenly come to an end and there was nothing left for me to do except just to sit still and remember what has been you mean to break with him break with him why he has never been mine there is nothing to be broken it was all a delusion and a dream i thought he loved me loved me exactly as i loved him with the one great and perfect love of a lifetime and now i know that he never loved me how could he after having only just left off loving this other woman if he had left off loving her and how could he when she is so perfectly lovely why should he have ever ceased to care for her she had been like his wife you say his wife in all but the name and all the world knew it what must people have thought of me for stealing away another woman's husband my dear the world does not see it in that light she never was really his wife she ought to have been answered christabel resolutely yet with quivering lips if he cared for her so much as to make himself the world's wonder for her sake he should have married her a man should not play fast and loose with love it is difficult for us to judge said mrs tregonell believing herself moved by the very spirit of justice we are not women of the world we cannot see this matter as the world sees it god forbid that i should judge as the world judges exclaimed christabel lifting her head for the first time since that story had been told her that would be a sorry end of your teaching what ought i to do your own heart must be the arbiter christabel i made up my mind this afternoon that i would not seek to influence you one way or the other your own heart must decide my own heart no my heart is too entirely his too weakly fondly foolishly devoted to him no i must think of something beyond my foolish love for him his honour and mine are at stake we must be true to ourselves he and i but i want to know what you think auntie i want to know what you would have done in such a case if when you were engaged to his father you had discovered that he had been within only a little while these last words were spoken with inexpressible pathos as if here the heart wound were deepest the lover of another woman bound to her by ties which a man of honour should hold sacred what would you have done would you have shut your eyes resolutely upon that past history would you have made up your mind to forget everything and to try to be happy with him i don't know bell mrs tregonell answered helplessly very anxious to be true and conscientious and if she must needs be guide to guide the girl aright through this perilous passage in her life it is so difficult at my age to know what one would have done in one's girlhood the fires are all burnt out the springs that moved one then are all broken judging now with the dull deliberation of middle age i should say it would be a dangerous thing for any girl to marry a man who had been notoriously devoted to another woman that woman still living still having power to charm him how can you ever be secure of his love how be sure that he would not be lured back to the old madness these women are so full of craft it is their profession to tempt men to destruction you remember what the bible says of such they are more bitter than death their feet go down to death their steps take hold on hell don't auntie faltered christabel yes i understand 
yes he would tire of me and go back to her very likely i am not half so lovely nor half so fascinating or if he were true to honour and duty he would regret her all his life he would be always repenting that he had not broken down all barriers and married her he would see her sometimes on the stage or in the park and just the sight of her face flashing past him would spoil his happiness happiness she repeated bitterly what happiness what peace could there be for either of us knowing of that fatal love i have decided auntie i shall love angus all the days of my life but i will never marry him mrs tregonell clasped the girl in her arms and they wept together one with the slow silent tears of life that was well nigh worn out the other with youth's passionate sobs sobs that shook the slender frame my beloved you have chosen wisely and well said the widow her heart throbbing with new hopes it was not of angus hamley's certain loss she thought but of her son leonard's probable gain you have chosen wisely i do not believe that you could ever have been really happy with him your heart would have been consumed with jealous fears suspicion would have haunted your life that evil woman's influence would have darkened all your days don't say another word pleaded christabel in low hoarse tones i have quite made up my mind nothing can change it she did not want to be encouraged or praised she did not want comfort or consolation even her aunt's sympathy jarred upon her fretted nerves she felt that she must stand alone in her misery aloof from all human succour good-night she said bending down to touch her aunt's forehead with tremulous lips won't you stay dear sleep with me to-night sleep echoed the girl no auntie dear i would rather be in my own room she went away without another word and went slowly back to her own room the pretty little london bedchamber bright with new satinwood furniture and pale blue cotton hangings clouded with creamy italian muslin a bower-like room with flowers and books and a miniature piano in a convenient recess by the fireplace here she sat gravely down before her davenport and unlocked one particular drawer a so-called secret drawer but as obvious as a secret panel in a melodrama and took out angus hamley's letters the long animated letters written on thin paper letters which were a journal of his thoughts and feelings almost as fully recorded as in those voluminous epistles which werther dispatched to his friend letters which had bridged over the distance between cornwall and southern france and had been the chief delight of christabel's life through the long slow winter making her lover her daily companion slowly slowly with tears dropping unnoticed every now and then she turned over the letters one by one now pausing to read a few lines now a whole letter there is no loving folly of which she had not been guilty with regard to these cherished letters she had slept with them under her pillow she had read them over and over again had garnered them in a perfumed desk and gone back to them after the lapse of time had compared them in her own mind with all the cleverest letters that ever were given to the world with walpole with beckford with byron with deffend and espinasse sevigny carter and found in them a grace and a charm that surpassed all these she had read elegant extracts to her aunt who confessed that mr hamley wrote cleverly wittily picturesquely poetically but did not perceive that immeasurable superiority to all previous letter-writers then came briefer letters dated from the albany notes dashed off hastily in those happy days when their lives were spent for the most part together notes containing suggestions for some new pleasure appointments sweet nothings 
hardly worth setting down except as an excuse for writing with here and there a longer letter written after midnight a letter in which the writer poured out his soul to his beloved enlarging on their conversation of that day that happy talk about themselves and love who would think reading these that he never really cared for me that i was only an afterthought in his life she said to herself bitterly did he write just such letters to stella mayne i wonder no there was no need for writing they were always together the candles on her desk had burnt low by the time her task was done faint gleams of morning stole through the striped blinds as she sealed the packet in which she had folded that lengthy history of angus hamley's courtship a large square packet tied with stout red tape and sealed in several places her hand hardly faltered as she set her seal upon the wax her purpose was so strong yes she said to herself i will do what is best and safest for his honour and for mine and then she knelt by her bed and prayed long and fervently and remained upon her knees reading the gospel as the night melted away and the morning sun flooded her room with light she did not even attempt to sleep trusting to her cold bath for strength against the day's ordeal she thought all the time she was dressing of the task that lay before her the calm deliberate cancelment of her engagement with the least possible pain for the man she loved and for his ultimate gain in this world and the next was it not for the welfare of a man's soul that he should do his duty and repair the wrong that he had done rather than that he should conform to the world's idea of the fitness of things and make an eminently respectable marriage christabel contemplated herself critically in the glass as she brushed her hair her eyelids were swollen with weeping her cheeks pallid her eyes lustreless and at this disadvantage she compared herself with that vivid and sylph-like beauty she had seen at the kaleidoscope how could he ever forget her for my sake she thought looking at the sad colourless face and falling into the common error that only the most beautiful women are loved with perfect love that perfection of feeling answers to perfection of form forgetting how the history of life shows that upon the unlovely also there have been poured treasures of deepest purest love that while beauty charms and wins all there is often one best worth the winning who is to be vanquished by some subtler charm held by some less obvious chain than aphrodite's rosy garlands perhaps if miss courtenay had been a plain woman skilled in the art of making the most of small advantages she would have had more faith in her own power but being a lovely woman who had been so trained and taught as to think very little of her own beauty she was all the more ready to acknowledge the superior loveliness of a rival having worshipped that other fair face how could he care for me she asked herself and then brooding upon every detail of their betrothal she came to the bitter conclusion that angus had offered himself to her out of pity touched by her too obvious affection for him love which she had hardly tried to hide from him when once he had told her of his early doom that storm of pity and regret which had swept over her heart had annihilated her womanly pride she forgot all that was due to her own dignity and was only too eager to offer herself as the companion and consoler of his brief days she looked back and remembered her folly thinking of herself as a creature caught in a trap no assuredly there was but one remedy one doubt one frail straw of hope to which she might cling yet remained that tried all was decided was this story true completely and positively a fact she had heard so much in society about baseless scandals she had been told so many versions of the same story as unlike as black to white or false to true 
and she was not going to take this one bitter fact for granted upon the strength of any fashionable medusa who might try to turn her warm beating heart to stone before she accepted medusa's sentence she would discover for herself how far this story was true i will give no one any trouble she thought i will act for myself and judge for myself it will be the making or marring of three lives in her wide charity in that power to think and feel for others which was the highest gift of her rich sweet soul stella mayne seemed to christabel as important a factor in this life problem as herself or angus she thought of her tenderly picturing her as a modern gretchen tempted by an early and intense love much more than by the devil's lure of splendour and jewels a poor little gretchen at seventeen and sixpence a week living in a london garret with no mother to watch and warn and with wicked old martha's in plenty to whisper bad advice christabel went down to breakfast as usual her quiet face and manner astonished mrs tregonell who had slept very little better than her niece but when the servant came in to ask if she would ride she refused do dear pleaded her aunt a nice long country ride by finchley and hendon would do you good no aunt di i would rather be at home this morning answered christabel so the man departed with an order for the carriage at the usual hour in the afternoon there was a letter from angus christabel only glanced at the opening lines which told her that he was to stay at hillside a few days longer and then put the letter in her pocket jessie bridgman looked at her curiously knowing very well that there was something sorely amiss but waiting to be told what this sudden cloud of sorrow meant christabel went back to her own room directly after breakfast her aunt forbore any attempt at consolation knowing it was best to let the girl bear her grief in her own way you will go with me for a drive after luncheon dear she asked yes auntie but i would rather we went a little way in the country if you don't mind instead of through the park with all my heart i have had quite enough of the park the booing and booing and booing said jessie and the straining one's every nerve to see the princess drive by only to discover the humiliating fact that she is one of the very few respectable-looking women in the park perhaps the only one who can look absolutely respectable without being a dowdy shall i go to her room and try if i can be of any comfort to her mused jessie as she went up to her own snug little den on the third floor better not perhaps i like to hug my sorrows i should hate any one who thought their prattle could lessen my pain she will bear hers best alone i dare say but what can it be not any quarrel with him they could hardly quarrel by telegraph or post they who are all honey when they are together it is some scandal something that old demon with the eyebrows said yesterday i am sure of it a talk between two elderly women with closed doors always means satan's own mischief all three ladies went out in the carriage after luncheon a dreary dusty drive towards edgware past everlasting bricks and mortar as it seemed to christabel's tired eyes which gazed at the houses as if they had been phantoms so little human meaning had they for her so little did she realize that in each of those brick and plaster packing cases human beings lived and in their turn suffered some such hard agony as this which she was enduring to-day that is st john's wood up yonder isn't it she asked as they passed carlton hill speaking for almost the first time since they left mayfair yes isn't it somewhere about there miss delamayn lives the actress we saw the other night asked christabel carelessly her aunt looked at her with intense surprise how could she pronounce that name and to ask a frivolous question yes 
she has a lovely house called the rosary mr fitzpelham told me about it answered jessie christabel never said a word more as the carriage rolled on by cricklewood and the two welsh harps and turned into the quiet lanes about hendon and so home by the finchley road she had found out what she wanted to know when afternoon tea was served in the little third drawing-room where mrs tregonell sat resting herself after the dust and weariness of the drive christabel was missing dormer brought a little note for her mistress miss courtenay gave me this just before she went out ma'am out has miss courtenay gone out yes ma'am daniel got her a cab five minutes ago to her dressmaker i suppose said mrs tregonell trying to look indifferent don't be uneasy about me auntie wrote christabel i am going on an errand about which i made up my mind last night i may be a little late for dinner but as i shall go and return in the same cab you may feel sure that i shall be quite safe don't wait dinner for me End of chapter eight.